Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. Good morning, Paseo del Rey. You guys feeling good? Welcome this morning. I am beyond delighted to be here. Um, it's been a while, but I feel like it hasn't because I'm actually restored and myself often use your building, but you probably don't even know because Gary and the eldership team has been so generous. When we rent a school, we have to pay for it hourly. So oftentimes when we have trainings or we want to do a worship night, we have to like find facilities and you guys have been so open-handed, which I'm going to talk about in a little bit. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's been a while and I miss you. And uh, every time I'm here, it feels like I'm with family. And so if you didn't have a Filipino relative, you do now, okay? Um, I often thank God profusely for our relationship. And, um, but just for a quick word, I know that Gary introduced me, but for those of you that don't know who I am or if you're listening online and you don't know who this is, this is Danny uh, Kimlot. I'm the lead pastor of Restored Church South Bay, which is here in Chula Vista. We're not too far. We're actually off of, uh, we're at Rosebank Elementary, which is off of E Street and Benita where that eucalyptus grove apartment complex is like up the hill, not too far. And um, it's been awesome the past few years. And um, my wife was here earlier. Her name is Monique. And we have two crazy boys. Uh, their names are Jackson, four years old, and Josiah, who's two years old. And uh, recently, it was Josiah's birthday. And it was also our anniversary, our seventh year anniversary. So we decided, let's go to Disneyland. So the first week, First part of the week, we went to Disneyland, like, without kids, because we're smart. And then the next, like, few days, we were like, all right, let's go pick up the kids. And we went back. Because, uh, you know, it's a totally different experience. Like, when you have a two- and four-year-old there, it's, like, you know, like, I'm not going to go into it. But the reason why we wanted to take them is because we had heard that there's this new Disney Junior Live show. Do you guys know Disney Junior Live? It's on the Disney Channel. It's, like, uh, Sophia the First, and they have Mickey the Roadster Racers, this whole, like, live show. Um, so we went, and they have, like, the Mickey Mouse-shaped disco ball, banging music, big speakers. And so I brought footage of my kids going wild um, on the dance floor amongst other kids. But I didn't know it was going to turn into this. You'll see in a second. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, like, watch this every day. Like... <laughs> I literally watch this every day. Like, it makes me belly laugh. Uh, I'm going to play it for you two more times because now I want you to pay attention to Jackson. And the third time, I want you to pay attention to Josiah. Josiah's the younger one. So, uh, Jackson, he's feeling it. He's feeling it. He's feeling good. I don't know where he got that move. From his mom, probably. I don't know. <laughs> and this third time... Watch Josiah as if it's Jackson's fault. His face is in the way of his hand. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you can take it off, uh, but (laughs) I definitely Instagram that right away. (laughs) Don't worry. They'll be in therapy for a little bit. You guys ever find yourself in a moment similar where you're feeling good, you're getting your groove, life is feeling awesome, things are going your way, then bam, God's like, reality check, it's not about you. 
I've had this happen so many times in my walk with Jesus where like I don't even realize I'm forgetting this like simple but fundamental truth that life isn't about me. Where God will be like, God, Danny, it's not about you. It's not about what you plan. It's not about your desires. It's not about what you work for and you think you deserve. It's about me. You know what that means? Out of my love for you, out of my gracious love for you, I need to remind you that I'm God. You're not Danny. That means you don't get to be in control. I do. That means that I deserve worship and celebration. You don't. That means that you live for my purposes and my glory, not your agenda, not for you. And God generously bestows these reminders throughout life. But man, does it not hurt sometimes when God smacks you in the face with these like simple reminders that, hey, it's not about you. Hence the title for today's sermon, like when generosity hurts. Today, we're going to continue on the series that you guys have been in and called Irrational Generosity. And I listened to Gary and Fred the past couple of weeks, uh, and they did a tremendous job. Just to review, Gary um, preached out of my favorite verse when it comes to this topic, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, where it talks about how God or Jesus left the riches and perfection of heaven so that we could become rich and he became poor. And then Fred propelled us under tackling this question like, how? How are we going to do this? How are we going to get the strength and the power to actually be generous? And he unpacks that in his message. And so today I'm like, how do I follow up these gentlemen? They did such a tremendous job. And I felt like as we were praying, like where to be, I felt like God led me to a very specific, seemingly random, but I know it wasn't, divine place in his word. We're going to be in uh, Luke 20 through 21. Um, And we're going to be specifically starting in Luke 20, verse 45. Luke 20, verse 45. So if you don't have your Bible, uh, we'll have it on the screen. But if you do have your Bible, go ahead and turn there now. And as you're going to God's word, let me go ahead and uh, pray for us one more time. Father God, I um, feel like this happened pretty quickly during worship, but I felt like you smacked me in the face again with this, re- with this realization that today's a gift. We got to wake up today. There's probably thousands of people around the world that did not get today, but we did. Sorry for not taking that first breath as as the gift that it is we have clothes on our backs food in our stomachs we have a community that we can go to a place where we can hear the children singing your worship songs without worry of persecution thank you for this place thank you for where we get to dive into god's word without fear it's in jesus name i pray the family said amen so we're going to be in luke 20 verse 45 through 47 but before i actually tackle the verses Real quick, have you guys ever gone to see a movie and you purposely go 45 minutes late? Have you guys ever done that? No, that wouldn't make any sense. That would be ridiculous. That's kind of like what happens when you try to dive into God's word without actually knowing the context. I'm diving into Luke 20, verse 45, and you have no idea what happened. So is it cool if I just kind of give you the context of what's happening? In Luke 19, Jesus finally has been trekking to Jerusalem, and he's been excited to get there. This is where Jesus rides on a donkey, and they start laying the palm, the palm leaves. And then he lays his, his eyes on Jerusalem, and he starts to, to have his heart break. His eyes start to weep because he knows. He starts to think, man, Jerusalem, there's all these like, bad things that are coming. Like, for you guys don't even know who just walked into your place. If only you guys would know. And so he starts going to the temple. And when he walks in, he sees all of these shady business transactions. This is when he starts throwing tables in an uproar and says, You guys have turned my house of prayer into a den of thieves. Because he can't stand it. 
And so every day he goes to the temple. It says in Luke 20, it says Jesus went daily every day to preach the gospel. It says that's very specific. He goes there every day to teach. And so on this particular day, we're going to be picking up on some on specific discipleship moments where Jesus has a large crowd at this point. He's in the court of women and treasury, which is a, a specific court in the, in the temple. And he's starting to build, obviously, another crowd. And, and the religious people, the leaders, the teachers of the law, have been giving a hard time. They've been trying to devise a way, how can we stump Jesus? So they started throwing all of these theological debates. And one by one, Jesus is like making them feel dumb. He's like, nope, stupid, nope, gotcha, I have an answer for that. But instead of shutting it down this particular day, Jesus starts to go a little bit in on who these people actually are. And so that's where we're at, Luke 20, verse 45 through 47. It says this. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Just pause. For the purpose of this sermon, this is discipleship moment number one. Okay? I want you to kind of store that in your memory bank. This is a discipleship moment number one. Discipleship number two, something awesome happens. As he's saying this, I want you to imagine, again, temple courtyard full of crowds, full of people. Jesus is somewhere in the mix. I would think he's like off to the side so that way he can kind of fill the open space. He's off to the side and all of a sudden, Jesus looks out into the crowd and everything goes into slow motion. Jesus hones in onto something very specific. It says this, the very next verse, Luke 21, verse 1. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Just pause. Saw a poor widow. She had no husband. Therefore, in this time, in this culture, she had no provision, no protection, no purpose, no identity. Back then, nobody would give this woman the time of day. But here, Jesus says, stop what you're doing. Everybody. Before, people would not give her time of day. But I want you guys to give her all of your attention right now. Pay attention. Do you know what just happened here? And he starts to unpack it. Verse 3. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. That's discipleship number two, moment number two. Then something else happens. Jesus overhears something. He, see, he starts to hear people talk. And this is the discipleship moment number three. Side note, I just think Jesus is like, the best preacher and teacher of all time. Like, obviously, that goes without saying. But, like, he literally doesn't have notes. He doesn't, like, spend hours like I did, like, preparing. Like, he's just walking around, like, paying attention. And he's like, this fan, kingdom of God. Guys, Matt's, Matt's beard, glorious. <laughs> kingdom of God, even better. Is Matt even here? I was looking at his beard. I was like, God, that's a glorious beard. Like, <laughs> Jesus would unpack that. Like, he doesn't prepare. Like, he just literally pays attention and starts to give people, I want you guys to have a gospel lens. 
see things the way I see things. That's a side note. But this discipleship moment number three, he's talking about this widow, and then he hears something happening in the background, and this is what he hears. Verse 5. Some of the disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. He just comments like, yeah, as great as that is, that's not even going to last. We're just going to pause here and then I'm going to continue on in a second. There's a lot here. That we can unpack. So the question is, what does this have to do with irrational generosity? What does this have to do with our series? So what I want to do now is give you three principal lessons out of these three discipleship moments that Jesus created. Is that cool? First principal lesson is this. Worship is first our, our identity before it is our activity. Worship is first our identity before it is our activity. What does that mean? We're all worshipers. You guys realize that. Everybody worships something. We were all intended to worship God, the creator, but something happened in Genesis 3, very specifically. What happened? Adam and Eve ate the fruit, and they decided, you know what, God? We don't want you. We don't want your reign. We don't want you to be our king. We don't want your rules. We're going to do it on our terms. And so from that point on, it says in Romans 1, that all of humankind decided, stopped worshiping the creator and started worshiping the created things. And so everyone worships, even atheists, if you think about it. Even atheist people worship. You know what they worship? Themselves, their intellect, their reasoning, their ability to make sense of things. They worship the brain. But you don't have to be an atheist to worship yourself. We actually see Jesus unpack that in the verses that we read. Is it cool if I read that again for you? Chapter 20, verse 45 through 47, about the religious leader says this. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, to have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses, meaning they take advantage of these lonely women that have no provision. And for show... They make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. You guys catch the irony here? Jesus is pointing his fingers at who? The religious people. The people that have it all together are following the rules. They're supposedly honoring God and serving him with all they have. And Jesus says, I want you to look at those people. Look at their behaviors. But what he's really doing is look at their hearts. Look what they love. Look what they like. They love wearing the best stuff, having the, the greetings and the best seats. They love being treated with importance. He's, he's making a heart statement. He's essentially saying, see those men? They do all this worship activity because they're religious leaders, but they're clearly not worshiping out of their identity as worshipers of God. That's not who they are. And maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, I don't like like." wearing long robes the only robe i wear is the bathroom kind right or maybe this isn't to pray out loud so that's not even me i would never do the lengthy prayer thing maybe this isn't you to a t but so let me frame this in a different way let me ask a question do your activities reflect your identity as a disciple of jesus christ if i were to look at your calendar how you spend your time does it actually reflect you as a disciple or what your energy levels go to 
does your behaviors and lifestyle reflect the heart that worships Jesus and not yourselves? And I'll be the first to admit, this is hard. I don't do that, like, perfectly, even as a pastor. And this is hard in America. I mean, the, we, we live in the, um, the pursuit of the American dream. This is the land of what? Of opportunity and freedom. Yeah, that counts. But opportunity for what? It's opportunity to serve our families, right? To, to ensure our security and our retirement plans. We serve ourselves, our comfort, our plans. Or do we use that opportunity to serve God? I love what Rick Warren actually said recently. Rick Warren is a pastor of a megachurch uh, in Orange County. Like as you know, he wrote The Purpose Driven Life. And he said this quote that never left my head. He said, when it comes to generosity and worship, talks about, we buy things we can't afford with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. <laughs> we buy things we can't afford with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. That's how we use our opportunities, our resources. Why? Why do we do that? Because this is a worship problem. We often care about other people and what they think or even ourselves and our own agendas more than we care about what God thinks. Because you know why? Worship is not just an activity we do on Sunday mornings. It's not just a musical genre that you play on your way to work. Worship is our identity. It's who we were made to be. We were, worship, we were made to worship God before it is an activity. So the question is, we're all worshiping something. So what is that you're worshiping? What is it? Or who is it? Second thing, second principle lesson is this. God measures our generosity differently than we do. We tend to measure our generosity by its size, but God measures our generosity by what it costs us. We tend to measure it by its size, but God measures our generosity by what it costs us. Going back to that poor widow. Back then, when it came to giving your, your gift to the treasury, the rich people had trumpets. They would get a parade. They would make a big deal. They would literally march with their bag of gold and, like, display it for all of the people to see. Look, that's what I did. That's what I donated. You guys see that? Did you guys see that? It was like a form of boasting to see, look, look what I'm doing for God. It's all for God. But praise me, you know, like. And then here, amidst the temple's crowds, Jesus goes, yeah, look at the rich people, but guys, hone in. Do you guys see that? Do you guys see that? That poor widow, she gave two copper coins, everything that she had to live on. So she's given more than all of those, all those men before her. Her generosity cost her everything she had to live on. Does this mean that God is like teaching us like to actually be generous till we're poor? No. So relax. <laughs> That's not what this passage is teaching. Jesus is trying to disciple the crowds to understand that true sacrifice, guys, has to be felt. True generosity has to cost you something. Jesus says all those rich guys have given a lot of money, but they gave out of their abundance. They gave out of their wealth. So they're giving a lot, but they're not going to feel that. They're not going to feel the sting of that loss because they have more. But this woman, she gave it all, everything that she had. The truth is, sometimes sacrificial generosity will sting. Sometimes it actually may hurt. But oftentimes, those are the types of sacrifices that make the best gifts. 
Does that make sense? Fellas, when you bought your lady a diamond ring when you first proposed, did that not hurt? Buying diamonds now, if like, does that not bring a potential headache? <laughs> when you look at prices. How about ladies? Does it not hurt for you to have to sit through one of your, your, your man's sports events, pretending like you're enjoying yourself? <laughs> Maybe that hurts. How about when a friend actually sacrifices time, energy, affection, and money to bless you, and you know that wasn't easy, but they did it anyway? Does that not do something in our hearts? When you know true sacrifice costs something, even if it hurts. I heard this story um, recently. I got invited by Gary to be part of that ordination, the EFSA ordination for Derek and Jin Lao, uh, so that they could be ordained. And I was really ex- excited. I just got to sit there and kind of learn how their process was. But I didn't expect what was going to happen. I didn't realize we were going to bawl our eyes out during this pr- process as Jin was sharing this specific story about himself. And I asked him if, it was, if it's okay to share it with you, and he said yes. You know that currently he's serving as a hospice chaplain. You guys know what a hospice chaplain is? It's a person that goes into hospice care, people's last stages of their lives, and he goes in to minister to these people. And when he first started, he started about 30 days after his own wife, June, had passed away. So when he goes into this hospital for this appointment that he got called out for, he remembers walking into the room and he sees a woman bedridden, tubes coming out of her body, all of which way. And he saw a husband sitting on a chair next to his wife with his head down. And so he steps out. He's like, oh my gosh, like this scene is too familiar. I've been in this place before. This hurts. I don't want to do this. So he starts to pray. He's like, God, give me the strength to do this because I don't know if I can get through this appointment. By God's grace, he steps into the room and he starts to ask the man questions, trying to kind of figure out where are you spiritually? What do you believe in? How can I be of service? And the guy's just stone cold, like, uh, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, it's fine. Like, you can stay if you want. But uh, no, I don't want to pray. No, it's fine. And Jin's obviously like, what do I do? So he's sitting there praying, God, like, what do I do? And God says, I want you to share what's happened. You would think, of course, that would be a no-brainer. But, like, he's taking everything that he has to not lose his temperament and control and just lose it. And so he's like, okay, fine, God, I'll do this. So he pulls out his phone, and he shows a picture to the man. He goes, I want to show you something. It's only been 30 days since I was in your seat. So I understand what you're going through. I understand your, your fears. You're thinking about your children. I understand that this is the hardest pain you've ever been through. As soon as he sees the picture, he's listening to Jin. The man loses all of the walls. And they just hug each other. Two men embracing each other cheek to cheek. And it's not weird. Because why? A bond had been formed in the fire of pain and suffering. Because that man knew, yes, Jin understands. So from that point on, whenever Jin says, do you want to pray? He goes, yes, please, let's pray. Do you know the gospel? Can I tell you about the gospel? Yeah, please tell me about the gospel. Starts unpacking scripture. Do you want to? And he just opened up. And because why? By God's grace, Jin was, was able to share generously his own pain. 
his own heart, even though it's going to hurt. And as a result, this man was able to experience the hope of Jesus Christ in the midst of what he was going through. Sometimes our generosity is going to hurt. It's not going to be easy. Maybe it'll hurt our wallets, our free time, our comfort levels. Maybe it'll hurt our energy levels. And maybe like that story with Jen, it's just going to hurt. But here's the thing. Jesus' generosity hurt. Jesus' generosity towards us was not easy. It came with more than just a sting. And I was reminded of this. Um, I don't know if you guys knew this, but uh, my wife, her brother died at age 29 years old this past January. Totally unexpected. And it came in a series of events that just we didn't want. We didn't need that. Nobody wants that, but we didn't need that, whatever it was. Just my son Josiah was hospitalized over Thanksgiving because of a bad burn. The next month we had found out that we had to find a new location for our church services. We had a month to figure that out. January, David passed away. After we launched in February at our new location, the elders of our restored family of churches said, Danny and Monique, you guys need to go. You need to take a break. Because I was barely hanging on. And so Monique prayed, and we were praying, and she said, I think I want to go to Israel. She's like, I just want to go and maybe see where Jesus had been. And so we went. And there was a discount we could have used where pastors can use like a 20% discount and if they do devotionals. And I was totally selfish. I was like, not doing it. Nobody's going to know I'm a pastor. Bye. Like, like, I went undercover, like not telling anybody on my bus. Then God was just like, Danny, Danny, it's not about you again. Like that whole smack in your face. And so we're going to the Garden of Gethsemane, and I'm asking the tour guide, say, hey, do you mind if I do a devotional? I have no idea what I'm going to share. And so we start at the top of Mount Olives, and we're trekking down, and my heart is getting heavier and heavier. Because I'm starting to see, man, like, this is where Jesus was walking when he knew what was going to happen when he got there. I remember seeing the olive trees that were there in the garden. Um, This is actually, well, the Garden of Gethsemane is greatly gated, and they actually trimmed all of the trees so that, like, a Filipino can't grab anything, right? (laughs) So I asked this guy on our tour bus, I was like, hey, how tall are you? He's like 6'4". I'm like, can you grab me a a branch on this, like, that olive tree? I just really want one to commemorate this. And so this guy is literally jumping, and he can't even reach it himself. So this is, like, technically not even from that, like, garden. This is from an off-beaten path. Like, it still counts to me, so I don't care. But I'm looking at this branch. I'm looking at the trees. And I just start weeping in front of these strangers. Because I was standing where my Lord and Savior was the most broken. If anybody understood pain and suffering, it was Jesus. Moments before he was going to be arrested and killed, he asked his best friends of three years, guys, can you please stay awake? Can you just stay awake and pray with me? And do they? They fall asleep, letting him down in his hour of need. He's alone, stressing so much that he's sweating blood. If anybody understands how painful generosity is going to be, it's Jesus. And I was reminded of that. Like, Jesus poured his life out in this garden, crying out, Father, please, if there's any other way. If we've ever wondered if Jesus understands our stress when we feel lonely, if it's going to hurt, 
But if it's going to be worth it, it's Jesus. Like the poor widow, Jesus' generosity cost him all he had. You know what's even crazier, guys? Is that Jesus chose to be generous to a people that weren't even considered friends. The Bible says this in Romans 5. I'm just going to read it to you. It says this. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we were certainly be saved through the life of his son. We're described as sinners and enemies of God. And God said, I'm going to generously love on you by sending you my son. And by that, we get to be friends. By that, you become sons and daughters. Is that amazing? We weren't good. We weren't even friends. We were enemies. And God, it wasn't until Jesus' sacrificial generosity on our behalf that we got to be called his family. So simply put, sacrificial generosity hurt so much that it killed him. And because of that, we have a hope beyond this world. Which brings me to the last principal lesson, which is this. Everything around us is temporary, but King Jesus and his kingdom are eternal. Live accordingly. You guys remember where we left off in the verses talking about somebody was walking around saying, oh man, look at the temple walls. They're so amazing. They're adorned. And Jesus says, yeah, as amazing as all of this is, all of it is going to fall away. That's where we left off, remember? Then he gets even darker. Jesus starts to goes, not only is this temple going to fall, but all of Jerusalem is basically going to crumble and be overtaken. And he goes, the world, guys, is going to experience wars, famine, and crazy earthquakes. Then Jesus doesn't just sit in this bad news. Thank goodness he gives them hope. And this is where we're at. We're going to be in verse 25. I want to read this. Luke 21, verse 25 says, There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up. Lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. When Jesus comes, you guys, we won't desire our big houses or expensive cars. We're not going to be thinking, how do I cash out my retirement plan or my savings? We're no longer going to chase after the perfect abs, body, or waist size. We won't care about getting recognition from our bosses or the praise and admiration of our neighbors because we're going to give that praise and admiration to the one that actually deserves it. For those of us who have placed our hope and trust in Jesus, we're going to look up at the sky and see Jesus coming on a cloud and know that is God's mighty power and great glory. And then he says this, you won't have to run and hide. I want you guys to stand up. You will not have to hide your faces in shame, but I want you to lift your heads and be excited because your redemption is near. You know what my favorite definition of redemption is? Redemption is when God takes something that's terrible and dark and horrible and actually turns it into something beautiful and whole and alive again. When God redeems something, he repurposes it for its good and he uses it for his glory. 
we prayed earlier, what happened in Las Vegas, the biggest massacre in history, look even wider, look at the number of hurricanes and the millions of people that lost their lives, or the earthquakes, can't read this scripture that we just read and not look at what's happening today and wonder when Jesus comes. But guys, when Jesus comes, everything that was horrible and dark and broken and painful will be repurposed for his glory. And all of it will end and something new will begin. Amen? This is our hope, church. This is why we exist. This is why we get to preach the good news. We get to go out into the world. This is why Courtney and Aaron get to go out into the world. And they say, guys, we are bad. That's the bad news. We are sinners. We are enemies of God. But praise God, the good news is that Jesus came to earth, lived the perfect life that we never could, died the death that we ultimately deserve so that we could be reconciled back to the Father who loves us so much that he sent his own son to die. We get to go out and irrationally be generous to people so that they can see a tangible piece of evidence of how good God is. Guys, this is why we get to call ourselves sons and daughters of the king is because of Jesus. He generously laid his life down for us. I'm going to call up the worship band now. But as uh, the worship band comes up, I just want to thank you, Paseo Del Rey Church. Specifically, you guys and your eldership team. Because I don't know if you realize this, and we alluded to it already. But one of the biggest reasons I'm able to be standing up here in front of you today as a pastor of a church is because you guys allowed it to happen. I remember the day me and Monique walked into the, to an eldership meeting that you guys were having right here. I mean, I don't know if I showed it, but I was so nervous. <laughs> I'm like sweating. I'm like, I don't know if I have to pitch anything. I don't know. It felt like I had to sell something, but I did it. All I had in the palm of my hand was God's vision. I was like, this is me, an insecure Filipino guy from South Bay, San Diego, and went to Morris High School. Monique grew up in National City, and we have a huge heart to come home. And all we have is the gospel. And by God's grace, God has used you, Paseo. You guys opened your hearts. You opened your church family. You opened your budget in a very practical way and said, you know what? Everything that we have is God's. Everything that we have here, this building, our budget, our people even, if God calls them to go with you to start this new thing, then so be it. May God's kingdom expand here on earth as it is in heaven. Say, because of your irrational generosity towards us, Restored Church South Bay even exists. By God's grace and goodness and his faithfulness through you. And I just want to admit, being a church planter, that has gone around meeting other churches, I just want to let you know that's not common. When you go into a place and you're like, hey guys, we don't have anything. We want to know what God's going to do through you. You'd be surprised at how many people see you as a threat versus an ally, but that was not true here. So I, d- I deeply and wholeheartedly thank you guys. And that's you as corporately, as a church body being used by God. So my question is, that's true corporately, but what does it look like individually? What would the world look like if all of us lived as if we knew everything around us was temporary and we were created for the eternal things? Because we were all made to worship. Depends what it is or who it is that we are. And 
God challenges our generosity by looking at what it costs us. Does that make all sense, family? Let me go ahead and pray as we go into a time of worship. Father God, I just want to thank you again. That regardless of the blood that courses through our veins, it's the blood on the cross that allows us to become family. We get to call ourselves brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the king. Because Jesus decided that we were worth him dying for. And so God, as we go out into the world, I just pray a special blessing over my my brothers and sisters here at Paseo. Would you continually captivate their hearts? Remind them how good you are in the midst of trouble or hardship or uncertainty. Give us a boldness and and a courage that comes from you. Where not only would we be able to live generously, but be generous people with our lives, our wallets, our words, even our brokenness. Would we share that with others, even if it's uncomfortable? God, I pray for more favor with people, not just here in San Diego, but beyond it. Go into the world. May your kingdom here be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name I pray, the family said. Amen.